Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. To be honest with you, I can't recall if I ever shared with you an interesting occasion that happened to me while attending a meeting in the U.S. last year. It was a meeting designed with lunch, but also to allow us attendees to visit with a number of authors and publishers with whom we interact daily as we sell their books and buy their products for our businesses. And a lunch, it was a chance meeting. By that I mean it was a previously undetermined where we would sit for that particular lunch. When we arrived at the luncheon room, we looked over the area and selected a table that looked reasonably available to us. We didn't know any of the guests who were there already when we walked up to the table, took our seat, nor did we recognize anyone who arrived after us. As common courtesy dictates, however, we introduced ourselves and shook hands with the others at the table. It was obvious that they were all retailers and bookstore owners attending the meetings as we do each year. Then the last guest arrived, a single woman. She introduced herself as Lynn DeShazo. I didn't know her, neither did my wife. We were therefore quite intrigued when it turned out that while we didn't know her as a person, we certainly knew some of her artistic creations. During the time that we enjoyed the arranged program after lunch had been served and consumed by us, this lady who had been seated with us at our table was called to have a turn on the platform and talked with us about inspiration and how she came to write the song for which she has become known. At least her song has been well received by the church and Christians everywhere, even though it was not apparent to me until she rose to speak to us, gathered there that day who she was. As I listened to her tell her story of how God had moved upon her spirit to pen the words of the song to which I refer, my heart was moved and warmed as it was yet again apparent that God in his wisdom and sovereignty can use anyone if they are yielded to him and willing to be a ready servant following the master's leading. I'll share with you the song about which I've been talking this morning, but after our first song call. Oh 
that you're waiting anxiously to learn what that special song was, the song whose author was having lunch with my wife and me and the others at the table that day. I know that you will know the song and perhaps you love it as much as I do. The words capture a vital truth that the devil would like to destroy, but this lady has captured it in a poetic, wonderful choice of words that grab you deep inside. As an indication, I suggest that they are inspired, and as we are bathed with them and the wonderful music that accompanies them, the spirit that indwells us responds to that truth and shares its enjoyment with them, with us, as we join together in a holy bond around the Word of God. And that is the subject of Mr. Shasso's poetry. As I mentioned, you likely are quite familiar with the song. It is called Ancient Words. I want to read the words again in your hearing. Close your eyes and let the Spirit accept and respond to the truth about God's holy word. Your spirit with God's spirit revealing in the word. Listen to them. Holy words, long preserved, for a walk in this world. They resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart words of life, words of hope. Give us strength, help us cope in this world where'er we roam. Ancient words will guide us home. Ancient words, ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words impart. Holy words of our faith, handed down to us in this age. Come to us through sacrifice, O heed the faithful words of Christ. Holy words, long preserved for our walk in this world. They resound with God's own heart. O let the ancient words impart. 
Now with his message for today, here is our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning, friends. We are dealing with the topic of true discipleship, which comes as a good time, actually, because we here at Calvary Bible Church are focusing now on our 40th annual World Missions Conference, March the 4th through the 11th. 
We, of course, extend a cordial invitation to you to attend as opportunity may present itself. But as you may recall, if you were with us last Lord's Day, we made the point that Jesus himself never used the term Christian to designate his followers, those who place faith in him. Rather, he called them disciples, the common term then used for anyone who accepted the particular teachings or concept of a teacher and accepted them as a way of life. This may come as a surprise to many of you who are listening today, but preaching the gospel is not the major or primary emphasis of the Great Commission. That's right. Preaching the gospel is not the major emphasis of the Great Commission. Now, before you tune me out and change the dial, please note that I did not say it was not a part of the Great Commission. I said it was not the major focus or emphasis of the Great Commission. The major focus, or perhaps a better way of putting it, is to say that the major or primary objective of the Great Commission is to make disciples. This involves preaching the gospel, of course, but preaching the gospel is not the end or essence of the church's mandate. That essence is, in fact, the making of disciples, who, if they become true disciples, will automatically become disciple-makers, because that is an inherent part of becoming a true disciple which means preaching or sharing the gospel as a way of life. In other words, a true disciple is a disciple-maker. That's how the church was designed by Jesus to make it grow. Unfortunately, we have lost sight of this truth, and in my opinion, we now have a weaker church than we would have had if we had emphasized on the making of a disciple rather than on preaching the gospel. But as we mentioned last time as well, the term Christian was probably originally meant to be a term of derision and was imposed upon followers of Christ by unbelievers. At that time, others were calling them the way, followers of the way, Jesus Christ. But as God has done in the case of the cross, which was once a symbol of shame and degradation, but is now a symbol of honor and glory, so God has sovereignly caused the term Christian to come to signify the same concept. Jesus, however, made a clear and definite distinction with regards to levels of discipleship. Not everyone who called him Lord, Lord, was what he called a true disciple. In the passage we studied last time in John 6, we saw that his teaching is clear. A disciple who has lost his or her commitment is useless and worthless to him. He or she is like a heap or pile of salt that has lost its saltiness and so unable to provide flavor for food fertilized line or land or to preserve meat. So is a disciple who has lost or turned away from his or her commitment to Jesus Christ. He or she has nothing spiritually worthwhile to contribute to anyone, anything, or any cause. He or she has lost their saltiness. In the passage in John 6, Jesus describes three levels of discipleship. The first is the curious, but actually still unsaved professing disciple, in his present condition, he or she is still useless to Jesus Christ. On the second level is the convinced but uncommitted disciple. They too are useless and worthless to Christ and his cause at the present level of discipleship. According to Jesus himself, the only useful and worthwhile disciple is the one who is on the third level of discipleship, and that is the believer who is fully and truly committed to him. These are the ones that Jesus calls a disciple indeed, or a true disciple. Such do not only believe on him, they actually and literally follow him. 
Such are the only ones Jesus calls, I say, true disciples. And as we saw last time, such only make a binding commitment after carefully and objectively sitting down and counting the cost. These are the progressing disciples, the growing disciples. These are the true disciples whom the truth makes free on a daily basis. These are the true disciples that Jesus are looking for today, and they are the core objective and purpose of the Great Commission, to make true disciples. Notice, Jesus chose from among the hundreds of those who call themselves disciples, those whom he knew were committed to him and his way of life. He didn't just make any disciple an apostle, for instance. From the perspective of the epistles, Jesus' goal was to lead those who believed in him to spiritual maturity. As the master teacher, he was also the master disciple maker, and he set down specific marks by which a true disciple is identified. First, he says, a true disciple has a supreme love for Jesus Christ. Hear his words in Luke 14:26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. End of quote. Please notice how absolute this statement is. He cannot be my disciple. Now, as we explained last week, this means that to a true disciple, compared to his or her love and devotion to Christ, all other loves seem as hatred. Nothing or no one ever comes before or between them and Christ. Jesus himself said this principle in Mark 3 when he chose his apostles. Listen to the text beginning at verse 13, and I quote now. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve, designating them apostles that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Listen also to 1 John 3.15. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. End of quote. The Bible is clear then. A true disciple of Jesus Christ is a person who consistently demonstrates love in a practical way to all believers. In other words, a Christian who is a true disciple demonstrates this fact not merely by, not merely by what he or she says or claims, but by what he or she actually does. But then third, a true disciple always manifests a denial of self. Listen to the words of Jesus Christ again in Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone come after me, he must deny himself. Please notice the absolute term again. He must deny himself. Now this deny himself does not just refer to self-denial in the sense of giving up some of life's pleasure or to stop eating ice cream or chewing gum for Lent. This is not as what is being referred to here. What is being spoken of is self-denial the utter and absolute denying of all claims upon oneself, not only of one's possessions or pleasures, but also and primarily one's very life. This is the truth emphasized in the next phrase. Jesus says, Fourth, a true disciple identifies with the reproach, rejection of Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, and I quote again. 
Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross. Notice again the absoluteness of the phrase. He must take up his cross. Now, taking up the cross does not mean having a chain around your neck, but it means to become what Paul calls a living sacrifice. We are dead to all claims of self, but alive to the mind and will of Jesus Christ. It means that we actually and literally consider ourselves as dead to ourselves, not only to sin and unrighteousness, but also to the legitimate joys and pleasures of life that might in any way interfere with our complete and absolute devotion to Jesus Christ and the cause of his kingdom. They are given top priority all the time in the life of a true disciple. Now, friends, be clear here. Salvation is free, but true discipleship demands paying the price of the sacrifice of self. I say again, salvation is free. It costs us nothing. But true discipleship following Christ costs, and it costs us everything. But if it's one thing we don't hear much of today in the average sermon that fills our radios and TVs, it's the true cost of discipleship, or I should say, the cost of true discipleship. Perhaps that's why we don't have too many true disciples crowding our churches today. The emphasis is not on what we must give up to be a true disciple, but rather upon what we can get to make us comfortable. It's just the opposite of what Jesus describes and demands of a true disciple. We do not have that the true disciple message being proclaimed today. But fifth, a true disciple follows Christ consistently. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus says to the disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must, again notice the absolute terms, he must follow me. This speaks of a consistent way of life, not a spasmodic spurt in the Christian life. True discipleship is not the discipleship that, that lasts only as long as a revival or a crusade lasts, or as long as an emotional-laden, entertaining-type preaching is being done. Rather, it is a discipleship that permeates every aspect of our life and at all times, regardless of how we feel or do not feel. I believe the point is well illustrated in the story that is told about an annual revival service that took place in the southern part of the United States. Each year, a popular evangelist would preach and make a strong appeal for a person to be filled with the Spirit of God. One particular fellow seemed always to be moved by these appeals, and he went up to the altar each year to be filled with the Spirit. But on this particular occasion, when he went up to the front, asking through his tears that God would fill him with the Holy Spirit, a little old lady who had enough of this man's emotional plea made a plea of her own. She prayed out loud for everyone to hear, No, Lord, please don't fill him up anymore because he leaks. I believe that we might have many disciples who leak too much to be true disciples today. And the leak becomes worse and more evident when suffering, pain, or difficulties are involved with following Christ. But the sixth mark of a true disciple is that he or she obeys the word consistently. John 8.31, and this is the focus verse for us. To the Jews who had believed on him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. You are my true disciples. This simply means that a true disciple is one who obeys the word of God at all times, regardless of what it might cost. My friends, too many professing Christians treat the Bible as a book of suggestions rather than as God's commands to us. 
A true disciple does not do this. He or she regards God's word as an imperative, a command to be obeyed, not a suggestion to contemplate. In essence, then, Jesus describes a true disciple as a believer who imitates him in character and in action, regardless of the cost. And cost meaning sacrifice, difficulties, and hardships. And they are an essential and vital part of true discipleship. Again, I say these are things we don't hear much about today in the context of Christian living. In in fact, many times, just the opposite is the case. The idea that if you come to Christ, everything will be all right is what is preached for many pulpits today. He'll heal you if you're sick. He'll make you rich if you're poor. He'll give you a new wife or husband if your present one is a problem. He'll just make everything right for you the way you want it. Life will be easy, and you'll walk to heaven on a bed of roses after living a life of ease. That's the kind of message we're getting today. But, beloved, this is exactly opposite of what Jesus himself teaches in the Gospels and what the apostles teach in the epistle. Peter says very clearly in 1 Peter, We are not only called to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Notice, suffering for Christ is an essential part of our calling as believers. Jesus says it's a mark of a true or genuine disciple. This concept of discipleship is the clear and normal teaching of the New Testament. But unfortunately, we have come to regard true discipleship as a radical concept of Christianity. In other words, to live the way Christ told us to live, a normal way, it seems to be a radical way of life for today. My friends, this is something that is unusual and not ordinary in our context of Christendom today, living to be the kind of true disciple that Jesus wants us to be. Christ regards this as a normal, unexpected lifestyle, not something that is abnormal or out of the ordinary. May we then, as those who truly love God and are totally committed to His Son, live the biblical, normal Christian life by choosing to be a true disciple, regardless of the cause. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. Therefore, to stay. Oh, the a little long.
command his promise, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet song. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet song. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again